When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Podcast. What is up, lacrosse fans? You're watching episode number 131 of the Lax Factor Lacrosse Podcast, and today we have lacrosse action to talk about in uh, hindsight, which is a beautiful thing. We had Bellerman face Mercer yesterday, and then we had Utah face off against Denver. Before I get in, so we're going to talk about the games, how everything rolled, and uh, all that good stuff. Before I get into it, as always, be sure to like, subscribe, hit the notification bell. If you want to support us beyond the norm, you can go to laxfactor.com. You can get yourself some shorts. We've got t-shirts with the brand. We've got regular lacrosse t-shirts. I keep showing you the same stuff, so maybe we'll get some new crap in here to show you. Uh, or uh, you can listen to the audio version only if you're watching on YouTube. Go to anchor.fm forward slash laxfactor or anywhere where you get podcasts. And uh, we're also on Instagram and all those other places. But the easiest way, like, uh, subscribe, share. But really, just subscribe, man, and just slam that like button like an idiot. So let's get into it. Uh, first game of the college lacrosse season was Bellerman facing Mercer at Mercer. And uh, one thing that has become apparent as a result of these lacrosse games is that I stink absolutely stink at uh, setting lines and I should probably just stop, but I'm not going to uh, Mercer in my defense. I picked them to, to win the game by six and a half. You know, I picked a six and a half point spread thinking that they would actually cover that. I, I, I felt like Mercer was legitimately going to win this game by seven, eight goals in that area. Alas, Goldsmith doesn't play, which hurt Beller or hurt Mercer pretty badly. It, it kind of totally changed their, they're dynamic offensively. They now go from having, you know, the leading scorer in the country running around on the field with uh, for them to no one of that magnitude that can uh, sting a defense like he can. So that hurt. Uh, as we kind of check the game flow, lead changes. Mercer jumped out to an early lead with uh, with the goal off the opening faceoff. So it's one nothing right off the bat. And I'm thinking, hey, I'm looking looking pretty good for my line here. Uh, teams traded goals between the first and the third with Mercer taking a two-goal lead at one point, uh, 4-2, and then Bellerman coming back 4-4, then Bellerman up 6-4, then Mercer tied 6-6, a ton of just both teams going back and forth, and then Eric Ruback's goal in the fourth with 12-30 left. Bellerman never let Mercer uh, back in after that and kept at least a one-goal lead through to the end of the game. Uh, one of the keys of the game, and not in a good way, I predicted Mercer would win a bunch of faceoffs. I didn't know that through four quarters, Mercer was going to win all of the faceoffs. Or through three quarters, they won all of the faceoffs. Wood was 15 of 15 at one point, dominating Lamb and anyone else that went at him. The first faceoff Mercer lost was after Bellerman took a 7 6 lead. Mercer went early and gave Bellerman that faceoff. And at that point, it was 15 to 1 in favor of Mercer on the faceoffs. But despite that faceoff disparity overall, uh, Bellerman, it didn't matter. Goldsmith not playing took Mercer so much out of their offensive rhythm that it, it just didn't it didn't matter. They could win every faceoff, get every possession, and they just could not get things to click on the offensive side. Um, the the end stat for Wood of Mercer was eighteen of nineteen 
uh, from the faceoff dot. So that's crazy, despite that disparity that Bellerman was able to pull off the W, even without Goldsmith playing. It's crazy that despite that stat line that Bellerman was able to pull it out. Defensively, both teams played well. Uh, both teams played aggressive. Both came out double teaming, beating on each other left and right. And there was a lot of really aggressive double teams, really, really aggressive slides and, and help defense. Clean, but physical game. Seeing the officials, despite you know also being back for the first time in a long time, they did a pretty good job of not letting it get chippy because it did get pretty physical at times. Um, and you know you have the hype surrounding getting back on the field and all of that, and then it's a conference foes that you're doing it against, so you know each other well and probably have a deep seated hatred for each other. So defensively, it was very physical, and, and if you're a defensive player, it was a good game to watch. You saw a lot of good help defense, a lot of good team defense. Uh, quick stat. Uh, turnovers. Bellerman forced Mercer into 31 turnovers. It looked really sloppy as we expected, uh, but Bellerman played the cleaner game overall. And, and oftentimes, especially in these early games, who plays the cleaner game? That's the team that's going to win. And in this case, it was Bellerman. Uh, their defense gets some credit. You know, I think a lot of it was Mercer not having Goldsmith, but you got to give Bellerman's defense credit for just playing their game and 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 keeping uh, Mercer and any any dodging at bay. That they did, they really did do a good job of cutting down transition looks, cutting down any look in terms that you know in terms of where slide comes, and you've got heads turning and guys on the backside. The recovery was excellent, and actually, I was impressed in the Denver game as well. Guys did get beat at times, but the the recovery and the slide packages were a lot tighter than I expected uh, and I think that kind of follows that the defense is always a little bit ahead of the offense at, at this stage in the season that was a little bit of a ramble uh, Bellerman overall like I said they looked like they played the better game and uh, uh, not having Goldsmith uh, to, to contend with Goldsmith that definitely helped them a little uh, on the Bellerman side John Robbins he had a very good game three ground like to the point where you don't often notice a defender sticking out as part of the broadcast but Robbins kind of stuck out three ground balls not a ton five caused turnovers and a shot and a couple of his late caused turnovers were were uh, key Mercer had a man up late in the fourth and and he picked a pass off uh, to kind of break things up. He went up the field. He did. Robbins did get stripped after he picked that pass off and took off upfield, but that stalled the Mercer man up play out. And uh, that Robbins just played well, and he had a huge impact. And then Leclerc for Mercer, he looked good as well. Three ground balls, five cost turnovers, and a shot. Same uh, exact stat, stat line as Robbins. Now, I did pull these stats off of Mercer's. Uh, website, so I'm not sure how vetted these all are. So if I quote a stat that's just wrong and not in the official box score, I wrote this literally right after the game yesterday. A lot of us watched this game uh, via Twitter. I, I'm drawing a blank on the guy's handle here. Um, if I remember, I'll put a screenshot in. But yeah, we were there was like about a hundred people at any given time watching the game being live streamed from, from some dude's phone. So I kind of did get to see what happened. It was a little blurry. Uh, goaltending for Bellerman. Bellerman won this battle. Riley came up with a huge save while Bellerman held an 8-6 lead that felt like it really hurt Mercer at the time late in that game. Kelly for Mercer, he made a huge save late in the fourth that resulted in a Mercer goal on the next possession. And I had made note of that one specifically thinking that could have been a turning point here. Mercer could have gone down, I think, by two again or maybe even by three. And he makes a save and then Mercer scores a goal and it flips it. So at that point, I was like, ah, well, Kelly had, had had a tough go so far in the game, but he was starting to play a little tighter as the as the game wore on. Uh, Riley Bellerman had 10 saves against seven goals, and Kelly for Mercer had six saves against nine goals. So Riley 100% won the goalie battle, 58% uh, in the cage versus Kelly's 40. But both of them actually ended up playing really solid in the fourth. Kelly got it together finally by the end. 
offensively. Pretty standard fare. Pretty you know, pretty boring. Pre, you know, early early in the season game, seven to six going into the final ten minutes. Nothing crazy, but some solid lacrosse overall. When when things were clicking, it would have been nice to see Goldsmith running around. Uh, quick stat offensively, extra man. Both teams totally stunk on extra man again. Not something that's a huge surprise this early in the season. Uh, Mercer was 0-4. Bellerman was 0-2. So we saw six penalties called, and no one stuck a man-up goal. Bellerman, as expected, as we talked about in the pregame, uh, they spread things out. Nobody came out and lit the world on fire. Roth and Ruback each had two goals. Brown and Playstead each went for a goal and a helper. And then three guys put up a goal, Bowie, O'Rourke, and Legnard. Is that how you say that? Someone could spell that phonetically for me in the comments, but uh, Legnard put up a goal as well. Mercer was hurt badly, as we keep saying. Mercer was hurt badly by lacking Goldsmith. I don't know what his deal was if he was hurt. Uh, maybe there was some COVID crap. Denver had 12 guys that weren't available to play, and uh, there was no official word that I saw on why, and they didn't mention in the broadcast, at least that I listened. Maybe I was getting a beer at the time. Who knows? But they were hurt badly. Stewart, though, played well. Two goals, two assists. McCarthy, Rockefeller, Dooley, Marks, and Wood each put up a goal. So they, we talked about in the preview the reason that Mercer was so good offensively was because you had Goldsmith drawing all the attention and you had guys flanking him all over the field that could stick shots from outside, that could two-dodge You know, when, once Mercer draws a slide. And it was very apparent that Mercer just had a hard time getting things going um, without having Goldsmith. The close on this one. Uh, so I got to eat turds. I got to eat some turds on this. I totally butchered the uh, the prediction on the line on both games. I legit thought Mercer was going to put it on Bellerman. I would have even said, ah, without Goldsmith, they're probably still two or three goals better than Bellerman. Not so. Bellerman came out and played good. They made me eat my words, and I should just probably stop doing lines altogether. I stink so bad after today. Uh, I could certainly play the what if game. I'm sure Mercer could play is playing the what if game a little bit, uh, at least in terms of just trying to uh, uh, fix their expectations and avoid uh, some PTSD in the sense that they are not the team they thought they were certainly not without Goldsmith. Um, but yeah, in the, in the end, I stunk. Uh, Bellerman played a great game. I would count that as an upset probably, uh, but without Goldsmith, you don't know. I think Goldsmith is the handicap in that game, you take him away. These are two evenly matched teams that, that squared off and played played a good game. I, I watch a lot of those mid-major games where the, where the streams, especially because they play. I watch a lot of those types of games usually during the week, during the season, because there's a lot of them up. So good game and all. I was glad. I was thank God that the dude from Twitter posted it because as I was sitting here, my wife had come in the office at one point and she's looking at it. She's like, what are you watching? I was like, this dude is doing God's work and he's live streaming this first game of the year that no one thought we were going to be able to watch. So I didn't have to suffer through watching someone posting notes on Twitter. Uh, so that was pretty interesting. Next game, next game, Utah at Denver. And this one, I picked a nine goal victory. I, I predicted a nine goal victory or more. I thought, honestly, I thought Denver was going to win by 10, 12 goals over Utah. Probably I'm going to double down on this one. The Mercer one, I, I admit I got wrong minus you, you, you Goldsmith plays. Who knows what happens? But with this one, I predicted a nine goal spread. Uh, Denver was without 12 guys. Uh, we'll talk about that here, uh, you know, but in in the end, Denver just had a hard time getting quality looks for the entire first half. And they did that last season a little bit. When I watched the Duke game in the North Carolina game, they looked very similar in terms of just their offensive struggles early, took them a while to get into the flow. And by the time they got into the flow, they started looking like a good team come that that third quarter where they where, you know, Tierney had shredded their asses in the locker room. 
uh, at halftime, and they came out and they did play a little bit more inspired. Uh, they just couldn't get shots off, just didn't click. That was it. So uh, game flow, lead changes, how that rolled. Denver got off to got off 10 shots in the first quarter to Utah's six. Didn't do anything for him. Uh, it was Utah that struck first. A Zach John save led to a Jordan Hyde goal with 320 left in the first. So that was our first goal was 320 deep into the first quarter. Uh, Denver didn't score again until their 15th shot. Ethan Walker found space on the left alley, got his hands free. Jordan Hyde scored in transition, and then Sammy Cambier with a long pole come up and stuck another transition goal. Uh, Denver failed to stop the ball, and that that was a, a key all day. Denver had a hard time stopping the ball in transition. Utah scored a bulk of their goals in broken play situations and in, in transition. So Utah ends up with a 3-1 lead uh, that stood through the half off that long pole goal in transition. Jack Hanna scored uh, two in a row uh, just four minutes into the third quarter to get Denver back at threes. Uh, the first was a snipe from the wing. The second was a sweep across the top. The slide didn't come. You can see Hanna kind of start to sweep across the top with his right hand. The slide almost comes, and you can see Hanna hesitate for a second, and then it doesn't come, and then Hanna just goes right down the alley, runs right by his guy, and sticks it. Uh, they traded goals from here. Uh, Utah – oh, wait, hold on. Yep, yeah, so – Second, blah, blah, blah. Yep. And then they traded goals. Uh, Utah, Bradbury scored. Uh, then Morrill scored for Denver. Then uh, Brad, uh, Bradbury scored again. And then Walker scored for Denver. And then things were knotted up at fives. Watcher, Walker dodged up the left side and made, people, made me look dumb on that goal that tied it up at fives. He dodged from X, came up. The adjacent slide did not come down to pinch him, and he just kept running past his guy and stuck one left-handed. I think it was over John's right shoulder. Made me look dumb, man. You're, you're a dodger now. Uh, Utah, they had a man-up opportunity to end the third. Thompson made a big save, got the ball out, and then Denver got themselves a lead, Morrill to Walker. So Thompson had a really played a really good game. Uh, so I think that he, if he can continue to play like that, he's going to be that goalkeeper. And then he you know, makes a huge save, ball goes up in transition, hits Morrill kind of down the right wing who hits Walker kind of trailing the play, and uh, Walker just stings one from out top. So that was huge. Uh, Utah, that was, and that was off a of man down. That was a man down goal. Utah was man up at the time when, uh, uh, Thompson made that save and then got the ball up. Uh, so that was a huge swing right there for Denver to give them the lead. And then Morrill picked up another helper hitting Sullivan and that gave Denver a two goal lead. And then they'd continue to answer every time Utah would get back to within a goal. Denver would score. I think Denver held a three goal lead late before Utah scored the two late uh, at the end there to uh, make things a little bit more interesting. Faceoff X, I predicted that Denver was going to handle their business at the faceoff dot. Uh, so the faceoff battle was won by one of the teams, 12 to 8 overall, but it was a surprise that it was Utah that won that faceoff battle, 12 to 8. Brams helped keep the game in reach for Utah over the third and fourth quarters by just winning faceoffs that normally you wouldn't have thought he would have won uh, against, uh, what's how do I pronounce, uh, Stathakis. I always have a pr hard time pronouncing that name. Uh, Brams won seven faceoffs to Denver's one over the third period, despite Denver outscoring Utah in that period five to two. So imagine if Utah wasn't winning those faceoffs after each of those Denver goals, what would have happened to Utah? The wheels would have come off badly. So Brams deserves a lot of credit for keeping Denver at bay by winning faceoffs each time they scored a goal over that third quarter. Uh, 
Denver won the last two faceoffs of the fourth quarter, though, which that was kind of key in helping them hold on. Hold on, because Utah scores a goal, Denver wins the faceoff. Utah still scores another one, and then Denver won the last faceoff of the game. So that was key for Stathakis to win both of those. At the end of the day, Cole Brams went twelve of twenty, and uh, Stathakis didn't do that bad. He was seven of fourteen, and I forget who the other dude. Uh, Denver had that took faceoffs was, but he went one for six, I believe. So he was kind of the one that really lost his ass to Brams was uh, the backup. Brett Booz, he went one of six. That's who it was. Defensively, both teams played well. I, I, di- I didn't look at either team defensively and think, oh, crap, you know, they, they look like crap. Now you got to give Utah credit because they played just good enough defense to totally take Denver out of their game. I think if you were to get sit, uh, Tierney down, and he answered you honestly, he would probably tell you that his team pretty much just played so poorly on offense and had such terrible flow that they did that to themselves in the first half, and I would agree with that. I don't I don't like to, to talk a team down that played really well, but the reality is Denver just looked like hot shit on the offensive side of the ball, and it wasn't because Utah was doing all of these in, insanely crazy things. They were, they were in the right position. They weren't getting totally beat, but a lot of it was just Denver not being aggressive enough. They were dodging, but they didn't look committed to the dodges in the first half. They weren't taking that extra step. They were trying to get shots off a little too early, I felt, into their dodges instead of trying to take that chance. I call them do-or-die dodges, not necessarily to the point that you dodge to the point of getting stripped by a triple team, but do or die in the sense that you got to go to the cage like you were really trying to beat your man and really trying to get a shot off. And at times I felt like in the first half, Denver didn't look like they were committed to the dodging game and to really drawing the defense, forcing slides, and they didn't get looks as a result. So I think overall that hurt, um, that hurt or that helped Utah Denver's not being cohesive but then uh, also Denver on the defensive side was without Colin Squires who's their best pole and I think missing him hurt them a little bit in transition you got a a team leader there uh, that's supposed to be you know kind of anchoring the defense a little bit and helping so I think just having another uh, guy with a a lot of not a lot of experience but another guy with with top quality experience on the field hurt Denver especially in transition quick stat defensively Man down defenses. Utah's man down unit went one for eight on the day. Yet another stat that shows how over the top they kind of played was Denver. Utah got eight penalties in beating up on Denver. I felt like a couple of them were ticky tacky type fouls. I didn't watch the game and think, holy shit, Utah is playing such physical lacrosse that they're just beating Denver up. I never thought that at any point, but you have eight penalties and Denver could only cash in on one of those chances. So that was huge for Utah. Denver held Utah to one of three. So, you know, both man down units did well in the game, but Utah, they kind of win the man up battle in that game as well. Uh, Kyle Smith of Denver, he forced three turnovers and had a GB. Sammy Cambier of Utah, two caused turnovers and four ground balls. And was it Cambier that scored the goal as well? I can't believe I'd left that stat out. All in all, nothing crazy defensively. Denver slides really early. So I, I like with Denver, uh, with the Mercer-Bellerman game where you were seeing dudes slide, you were seeing them slide aggressively and violently. Denver slides so early in, in, in a play that it ends up just being kind of a player swap where it's like, hey, I'm going early for you. I'm there. Got him. You run back, find somebody on the backside. So Denver went so early, you didn't see them didn't look like they were playing overly physical uh both teams I think played pretty physical while the ball was on the ground uh but you know just a lot of solid defense and for Utah side a lot of staying home and just sitting back and let Denver make mistakes and Denver made mistakes so I think Utah sticking to their game plan and not trying to be aggressive played in played well 
into uh, allowing Denver to do a lot of the dirty work in terms of just playing poorly uh, for Utah. So that was good. Goaltending, both goalies played tough. Even though Johns had to eat the loss, Johns had a good game, huge swing in the game uh, during Denver. You know, Denver put up five goals across the third, so that was a that was the huge swing in the game. And then Thompson during that stretch put up some stops as well. So Denver, you know, while while Thompson was having his quarter and playing really tough, uh, it was at the exact right time for Denver to be able to say, hey. Thompson stopping you guys now. Now we're getting things going offensively. So once again, without Utah winning those faceoffs and without their goalie playing tough, what's Denver do in that third and fourth quarter? Uh, it would have been rough for him. But both goalies, I thought, had a pretty good outing. Zach Johns, uh, 16 saves, 9 goals against in the loss. And Zach Thompson, 11 saves, 8 goals against uh, with that huge third quarter in the win. Offensively, Denver, 10 shots on goal in the first half, 1 goal. Second half, 15 shots on cage, eight goals. So Denver was way more aggressive uh, getting to the cage. They got upfield and created transition opportunities, and they looked a lot more comfortable in the second half, especially in that third quarter. I think that Utah was kind of sitting back like, oh, shit, what's happening now in the third? This is kind of what we expected. And then I was thinking Denver might roll and they might end up with a five, four or five goal uh, win by the end of it. But Utah settled down and then they kind of got back to playing quality ball again. And that, that was why they were able to chip in. But overall, once Denver got things rolling in the third, it was kind of, you know, they, they started to look like the team that you expected them to look like. Uh, we get to Utah. Oh, and then a quick stat for offenses, uh, for the offensive side of the ball. Turnovers. Denver turned the ball over six times in the first quarter and only seven times the rest of the game. Now, in the second quarter, after they cleaned things up, I think it went six turnovers in the first and then it went two, three, two. Uh, for the rest of the game. So even though they, they cleaned things up in the second quarter, that didn't translate to goals because uh, Johns was playing tough in cage. But they you know in the second quarter, they started playing better. And then in the third was when things really went uh, for them. But they cleaned up those turnovers. They played better ball. Utah stats. It looked like Utah was sunk and Denver would end up really rolling at 9-6. I figured at that point, where it was 9-6, I was like, yeah, well, Denver's probably going to win this game 10-6 or so. I figured they'd stall it out a little bit. They'd probably get a cheap goal towards the end as Utah had to extend their defense. But Tyler Bradbury, he goes one for a goal and an assist over the last two minutes and 30 seconds of the game to get Utah back within reach by the end. Bradbury ended up with three goals and two assists for Utah. He looked really good. Jordan Hyde, two goals, and then five other guys put up a point each between goals and assists. Uh, Denver's stats. For Denver, tail of two halves. For, uh, first half, one goal. Second half, eight goals. And Walker, Hannah, and Morrill, as we kind of expected they would do, led the way in that second half. I expected them to do that the whole first half and the second half, but they didn't. But they did get it together, and those, those three guys played really tough. And throw in Ted Sullivan as well. Sullivan, a goal and a helper. Morrill, a goal and two uh, dishes. Jack Hanna, two goals and an assist. And Ethan Walker, three goals and an assist. So in the end... The, the usual suspects for Denver, they figured it out. They got things going. Ethan Walker ended up having himself a good game with three goals and a dish. Uh, leading scorer duties, though, for the day go to Tyler Bradbury for Utah. So he, he outperformed all of these other guys. So good for him. But, you know, the Denver figured it out. Figured it. Did I say that wrong? Denver figured it out. And uh, the close on this game, in the end, uh, Denver, they looked awful in the first half. Awful. They got looks. But they obviously did a terrible job scoring the rock. Uh, that was they, they. A lot of their looks were just sailing right. You know, they, they missed just a lot of shots and a lot of decent looks in the end. They just didn't put anything on them. Kotler, 
um, specifically lo- struggled a little bit. His his first shot that he put on Cage looked like he was literally just trying to hand the ball to Johns. Uh, he took a couple of bad shots that I noticed. Uh, Hannah sailed a couple early on. Um, he looked aggressive early on, but he still just wasn't hitting the cage. So in the end, Denver, they just didn't look aggressive enough. They were getting those shots off, but they didn't. They weren't putting everything that they had on them. They weren't committing to the dodges enough that they were able to score those goals. I think a lot of that's when you're aggressive in the dodge and you get that shot off, you're able to put that on cage. Whereas if you let that defender just get that shove on you and you're you know kind of limp dicking it into the into the dodge, you're going to have a limp dick shot that you that you get uh, put on cage here. So, you know, a lot of cupcake shots that helped Johns a little bit early, but still he stood his ground and played well. Second half, Denver looked about what we expected them to look like. Uh, they, you know, they kind of uh, outscored Utah 8-5 over the second half. Even that wasn't ideal for Denver, and that, w- that would have been enough to piss Tierney off, I think. But 8-5 over the second half when you're playing like shit in the first is better than nothing. Uh, had, Den- had Denver been able to not give up those two goals late, Things look better for Denver, and maybe Tierney's not quite as angry going into the locker room, but I bet you those dudes are going to be punished come Monday uh, for the way that they played in this game. It's it's one of those deals as a coach, if you were to get Tierney's ear in an honest way, he would tell you straight up that we should have beat them by 10, and we didn't because we played like crap. Uh, you're not going to hear him say that publicly, though, because you don't want to take anything away from Utah, but I can. I'm uh, I have no ties to anybody, and I truly believe that, hey, Hats off to Utah for coming out and playing a just a balls-to-the-wall game on, on Saturday. But the reality is that Denver, I think if they play these guys five times, Denver wins by six goals four out of the five times, and this is the anomaly. And I think a couple of those times Denver wins by more. Um, so that's just... That's just the way that it rolls, I think, if you're being honest. But, hey, man, Utah you, Utah took the field with a bunch of freshmen and sophomores playing against a team with a bunch of juniors, seniors, and grad students on the field. I mean, you, you look at that attack. Um, two of Denver's attackmen are grad students. Um, Hannah's a senior. Kotler's a grad student on the midfield. I think Simmons may be a grad student as well, although he might not be. But either way, uh, it's just a hell of a job. A bunch of young guys that don't know any better went out there and just gave the top five team in the country all they could handle. So that's a hell of a job by – that's a hell of a job by Utah. Sorry, Utah. Holman and company and the coaching staff there, just a hell of a job. Um, I think that's it. Luckily, we got a short short day here today, short – short show. So we're not going to go, I'm not going to ramble beyond that. I just wanted to talk about the games next up for Denver is Duke and North Carolina. So they're going to have to play a lot better Denver, obviously. And I think they will. I think that they looked so bad. It can't be worse necessarily outside of their playing, you know, Duke and North Carolina in these next two games. Uh, and then Utah, who does Utah play? They end up playing You'd think I would have been organized enough, and I would have just wrote that into the show. Utah has Bellerman next, so they're going to play at Bellerman, and then Denver. They play. Denver is going to play Duke at Duke next, and then North Carolina uh, four day, three days later, two days later at North Carolina. So, you know, Utah, they got a chance here now to prove, hey, that wasn't just a, a weird anomaly. Uh, and I, I dare say to prove that they're as good as they looked on Saturday, they have to come out and beat Bellarmine. If they lose to Bellarmine, then we're just saying, okay, that was an anomaly and, and Denver just played like hot shit. If Utah wants to prove that they're for real, 
beat Bellerman, and then we're going to be like, holy crap, what is Holman putting in their Gatorade out there? Because the team that young is going to take lumps. Uh, so that's why I call that an, an anomaly. But uh, for Denver uh, to beat Duke and North Carolina, they're going to have to play a hell of a lot better. And like I said, last year they played Duke and North Carolina early, and they looked sluggish in both of those contests offensively. They did not put a full game together in either of those, either of those losses to Duke and North Carolina. And then they finally did play better against Notre Dame and got a win there. Uh, but that was a Notre Dame team that was not as good as the Notre Dame team is right now. Notre Dame was a little bit down last year. Notre Dame this year is fully reloaded with transfers from Penn and uh, who'd we talk about? Um, Bucknell, Will York. So Notre Dame's going to be a completely different animal, but I don't think, I think I'm rambling because I don't think Denver plays Notre Dame. So that doesn't even matter. But yeah, Denver's next three contests, Duke, North Carolina, and Air Force before play, uh, uh, coming back home and playing Marquette at Denver. So Denver's got a crazy schedule, probably one of the toughest schedules of all of the uh, overall blue, blue bloods here, although I think Dukes is pretty rough too. So that's it. I'm going to stop rambling here. We're going to get on with it, and uh, we will be back and do the preview show. Most likely we're going to move. I keep changing things around just based on my own schedule, but I think that it's a better spread uh, to do the Saturday morning live stream, to do the Sunday morning weekend in review, and then to do the uh, week week in preview, like the preview show on Wednesday. So we're going to go Saturday morning live stream at 10 a.m. every Saturday morning. We're going to go uh, Saturday's games recap on Sunday morning like we're, you're watching right now, and then we're going to do Wednesday is the next weekend's preview show, and then we'll throw some crap in between. If there ends up being games on Sundays, we'll probably do a little bit of a, a show Sunday night or Monday. Uh, we'll figure that kind of crap out, but the watch the schedule. It's going to be Saturday morning at 10 a.m. live stream, Sunday morning, putting out the recaps from Saturday, and then Wednesday, right back into the previews for the next week. So as always, thank you for watching. Be sure to like, subscribe, hit the notification bell. You can listen anywhere where we have podcasts, but anchor.fm forward slash laxfactor is our home, and you can go to laxfactor.com, get yourself some swag and all that good crap. Be sure to come back this Wednesday uh, it'll be released Wednesday morning for the, the preview show for the next weekend's games. And as always, I said it already, but I'll say it again. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. And Hoost is out.